What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. Yep, a couple days behind on videos right now. If you watch the Malicious Compliance channel, which that video came out yesterday morning, uh, you'd already know this and the reasons why Uncle Reddit imbibed a little bit during his camping trip this last weekend, and uh, so things got away from me a little. But we did have a nice time off, got to enjoy ourselves, camp a little. It was good. All right, let's read some stories. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night. This is sort of long, so grab a cuppa or a can of and hang on. Way back in the Dark Ages, 1990 or 91. Ooh, I take offense at that. Which means prior to the interwebs and cell phones, I used to do field service on electronic automobile engine analyzers. Now this wasn't that cutesy modern thing that plugs into the single OBD2 port under your dash near your steering column. These analyzers were the size of a small refrigerator with six or eight separate electrical leads to read all your engine was doing. Plus it had a vacuum pump with a 14 foot hose and two foot stainless steel pipe that went into the exhaust pipe to read your vehicle emissions. Weight against timing, RPM, charging system, etc. My customer base was 111.65% professional mechanics. You know, the guys who troubleshoot your car when it's not running right. Guys who understand that you must check both electrical and mechanical elements of your car to find a problem. At the time I was living in central North Carolina, and the customer in question was on the Outer Banks near Nags Head. On a good day, at 55 miles per hour, then the national speed limit, it was a good 5 hour drive one way. Again, I repeat, on a good day. We would call the service desk throughout the day to close calls. Then get the straight skinny on call B, call the customer for call B, and schedule the work. On the service call in question, the customer called the company's service line and reported that his analyzer was not working. I found out that said customer in Nags Head had a problem late in the day and called them immediately to see if I could solve this over the phone and save 10 hours of drive time. Me is me, customer is Ray, for in the dark ages every old school auto shop was required to have at least one mechanic named Ray. My boss is Willie in Hotlanta. Ray's boss is, well, yeah, Ray's boss. I call the customer. Hello, this is Ray at Auto Shop across the street from the ocean. How can I help you? Me. Ray, this is me with Engine Analyzers, Inc. I hear you have a problem. Ray. Hey, Bo, your machine is dead and we need it fixed ASAP. Technically, it was his boss's machine. We just did the maintenance and repairs based on his boss's yearly service contract. Hold that point, please. Me. Ray, when you push the start slash stop button on the front panel, does the pump come on? Do the lights come on? And does the countdown start on the CRT? Yes, a CRT. I said it was the dark ages. Ray, the lights are on. Me, just the lights, but no pump sounds? No three minute warm up countdown on the CRT? Ray, nope, nothing. Me, okay, I'll be out there as early as I can get there tomorrow. Oh, rat spit. Fast forward to 4.30 the next morning. Huge thunderstorm wakes me up. Stumble to the kitchen. Turn on the radio. Tornado warnings. Driving rain. Reports of flooding. An interesting morning ahead altogether. 5.30 I leave the house headed east with Mother Nature playing games ahead of me. What with rain, wind, downed trees, and numerous flooded road detours, the 5 hour good day trip took almost 8.5 hours of miserable driving trip. And usually I love driving. Get to the shop. Ask for Ray. He comes out of the office and leads me to the machine. 
chattering non-stop about how backed up they're getting because he's the only shop with an analyzer for 100 miles north, south, or west. East was just salt water, of course. I get to the analyzer, hit the start and stop button, it does nothing. No lights, no pump, no CRT, ergo, no three-minute countdown. It did nothing. Me. Uh, Ray, I thought you said the lights came on but no pump noises. Ray looks up, points at the overhead lights, moves his hand in a broad circle and says, The lights are on. Me. No, Ray. I asked if the lights on the machine came on. Pump stat, CRT, countdown. Ray. Told you it does nothing, and he walks away. After a serious facepalm, I follow the first rule of any electrical troubleshooting. As it is, was, and always will be. Check to see if it's plugged in, regardless of the IT. Hell, even Scotty on Star Trek knew that when the Dilidium crystals crapped out, you gotta get new ones so you can get enough power to reach the warp speed. No Dilidium crystals, no juice, no warp speed. Dilidium? I don't know. Whatever. I trace out the power cable, which runs up into the overhead rafters, where it's plugged into a long drop cord that ran across the shop about 25 feet, down the back wall to a plug that was laying on the workbench next to what looked like a brand new grinder, which was plugged in. I waddled over, cursing under my breath, knowing how this was about to play out. Unplugged the grinder, plugged in the drop cord, waddled back to the analyzer, pushed the stop-start button, it lights up. The vacuum pump hums to life. CRT shows the three-minute countdown. I let it sit through that. It hits zero. Tells me it's ready. Ran the diagnostics, and no trouble found. All systems meet operable parameters. Now remember the contract? Ray's boss paid for maintenance and repairs, not plugging in stuff. Engine Analyzer's Inc. Company policy was if we or our machines screw up or you need a normal repair or maintenance, we pay for parts and tech time inside your yearly contract. But if you screw up, you pay for parts and tech time. Ray's boss is now on the hook for eight and a half hours of drive time, 42 seconds of tech time on a one hour minimum, and eight and a half hour trip return time based on the original drive out there. Ray went nuts when I told him how I fixed his problem went nuttier when I handed him the bill. He stormed into the office and handed it to his boss, who went even nutser, nuttier, still. Ray's boss. I won't pay it. It's not my fault. I won't pay it. Me. Well, I guess it isn't personally your fault. It's Ray's fault, and Ray is your head mechanic. So you have to pay. And if you don't, we'll cancel your service contract and all your future calls for 12 months from today we will be out of pocket. I don't make the rules. I'm just forced to enforce them. Ray's boss. I refuse to pay it. Who do I talk to about this thing? I won't pay it. Me. I can call my boss Willie in Hotlanta. Ray's boss. I have his number here. So Ray's boss dials it, puts us on the speakerphone box. Hello, this is Engine Analyzer Zinc. I'm Willie in Hotlanta. How can I help you? Me. Willie, it's me. Then gave him the whole nine yards, with Ray's boss kibitzing all the way through, telling Willie in Hotlanta repeatedly how it wasn't his fault and he refused to pay. Willie in Hotlanta. Hmm. Well, it sounds like it's not your fault, Ray's boss. Ray's boss is now grinning. But it does sound like it's Ray's fault, and Ray is your head mechanic, so you have to pay, per the contract you signed. It says, and you agreed to pay for drive time and tech time brought on by your shop practices. And if you don't pay, I'll just cancel your service contract, and all your future calls for 12 months from today will be out of pocket. I don't make the rules, I'm just forced to enforce them. Ray's boss gave Willie and Hotlanta a piece of his mind, which he truly couldn't afford to lose, mind you. Cursed a blue streak about how we were crooks, 
then gives his company credit card number to Willie. Willie and Hotlanta ran it, got the bank approval, and he told me to head home. It may have been my imagination, but I could swear that I could hear Ray's boss yelling at Ray for at least half the eight and a half hour ride home. I have other crazy customer stories from various jobs to tell, but the mechanic who didn't plug in the electronic equipment and thought it was dead takes the cake. I surely hope Ray and Ray's boss and their whole shop are better at fixing cars than they are at analyzing something that's not plugged in. Personally, if I had such an important machine running in my shop, I would have it on a dedicated plug somewhere. At the very least, I would have a note on it somehow and maybe a lockout system to keep people from just yanking the plug out and plugging in a grinder. Um, but anyway, that's just me. The Cursed Laptop Model When I was working at a state department, our hardware contract was with Lenovo. While most of the models worked as expected, there was one that was cursed. The Carbon X1. This small little thing would have every issue under the sun. Camera issues? Overheating? Bad Wi-Fi connections? Always the Carbon X1. We had one lady who we'll call Needy. Just loved her Carbon and wanted the upgraded model when it came time to update her hardware. I tried to convince her to go with another model we knew worked, but she was some bigwig and would stomp and cry if she didn't have her computer set up a particular way. Anyway, I had handled the deployment of this computer because I happened to glance at the ticket two seconds too long. I was able to get her set up, if hampered by her need to butt in every .0001 seconds about all her files. After sending Needy on her merry way, I get yelled at by her after walking down the hall. She wanted something set up and her computer was being weird. I rebooted it and told her I'd check in tomorrow. Upon logging into my computer at home, I get bombarded with tickets and messages from Needy. Apparently, her camera kept freezing and needed to be fixed before the big client meeting. I go in and run updates and do the normal rigmarole. However, I get stuck on this meeting because she's worried her camera will freeze again. It didn't, and I was forced into a meeting I had no need to be in. After dealing with Needy, I kept getting tickets stating that a bunch of Carbon X1s were crashing and slow after Windows Update. For a solid week, I was imaging and trying to fix these godforsaken machines. Anytime there was an update, we knew there would be a bunch of calls for dead carbons. We tried to steer away from that model, but public sector budgets were razor thin and we were stuck with aging hardware. All I could do was watch as the Carbon X1 slowly died from software updates. I don't think I've ever dealt with a Carbon. I did, however, deal with a, I think it was one of the early Dell Inspiron models. And it started out great. Worked great for about a month. Until one day it just didn't. Um, everything you tried to open would freeze, lock up. It didn't matter what we did. We took it to an independent service tech. They couldn't find anything. Dell would not honor their uh, warranty of any kind. Uh, they just kept wanting me to do tech support over the phone. And I said, listen, guys, there is something seriously wrong with this machine. Now, I don't know if it was every Inspiron. I just knew this one was goofy, like an Inspiron 1505 or something. I don't remember. But anyway, so we went round and round and round for almost two weeks. Now, this was my wife's laptop. And you know, if Auntie Reddit's not happy, nobody's happy. So after about the two-week mark, I ended up researching online and finding the email address for Michael Dell in Texas. And I knew I wasn't going to talk to Michael Dell, but I figured, well, you know, I've tried everything else. Let's give this a shot. So I sent in a scathing email about how tech support was really uncooperative, not helpful in any way, um, and that there was a serious problem with this laptop. I don't expect something for nothing. I expect to be made whole for what I already paid for. 
And lo and behold, the next morning at work, I get a call on my old flip cell phone and it's the assistant for Michael Dell. Like the assistant. Crazy. I'm not able to confirm it or anything. I'm pretty sure it was the assistant for Michael Dell though, because the very next day I had the new replacement laptop, which was the upgraded version because the version that I had evidently was being shut down. Can't imagine why. And uh, so yeah, I had the new laptop, got it all set up, put the other one back in the box and sent it in just like the assistant told me to. Like I said, I wasn't looking for freebies or anything. I just wanted to be made whole. And uh, she used that laptop for probably three or four years easily uh, before we upgraded her to a different one. Uh, I think she wanted a touchscreen at the time. So yeah, I don't do touchscreen laptops, but anyway. Why is Word flashing? I work in third tier support. I mainly handle mobile device management and IAM tasks. What is that? But I also do advanced desktop troubleshooting. If a problem gets big or is extra important, our desk side support hands over an issue to the team I'm on. In January 2019, I was handed a super special problem that dominated my next 45 days. Microsoft Word was flashing. Worse, it would often crash at the end and there was no document recovery available. Trust me, we looked. This problem was causing people to lose work. This meant big money was being lost. The symptoms was the user was just normally using Word and all of a sudden the document would blink. No, not Windows. No, not the entirety of the Word application, just the document portion itself. I first saw the problem on a video and couldn't deny what was happening. Sometimes it would flash only once, but sometimes the whole document would continue to flash on its own. There was no interaction with the PC and it's sitting there continuing to flash. It was like the document is being used by a DJ as a flashing light effect. At that point, Word was gone. You had to crash it. At this point, what we knew is it would start to flash in response to doing something, but we knew nothing. We had a hunch it was caused by one of our Word add-ins. We have a number needed for business and compliance reasons, but we ran down patching, drivers, our Windows build, everything. I opened tickets with every vendor. We talked about their product. We talked about drivers and hardware build differences with our hardware vendor. We even went so far as to ship hardware with our custom build to one vendor. We brought in an expert from Microsoft into the office to work alongside us. For weeks, we couldn't figure out how to repeat the problem, so we couldn't figure out if certain changes would fix it. We confirmed it wouldn't happen every day for every user. Someone might never have the problem happen again. Then at one point, we got a hold of a laptop with the issue happening over and over. We gave them a new laptop and used this access to finally identify how to repeat the issue on any computer. To recreate the problem on demand, I would make this insanely complex thousand-page document with hundreds of formatting changes. Then I would do what I could only describe as being like a three-year-old. I would violently scroll up and down in the document until it would start to flash. I would change to a second document of similar complexity and scroll in it the same way. I would change to a third one and so on. I could watch Word's memory use jump as I did this sequence. I could usually count on the flashing beginning when it reached an approximate point. By this time, we had limited the problem to Windows, drivers, or one specific add-in that had to be on the PC for the problem to happen. Approximately one month in, we finally identified the actual problem. We needed to have hardware acceleration on in Office. We had disabled it. We identified the specific add-in vendor that had recommended it be turned off. They couldn't explain why it needed to be off beyond vague reasoning that it fixed some problem they couldn't give the exact details on. Proving that sometimes your entire problem comes down to that one checkbox. It's kind of anticlimactic, but if you work in IT, you've been there. While I've never experienced this particular problem, 
I will say on one of the construction sites that I ran, we had a multi-story building with um, hydraulic elevators. So it was only a couple floors high because it had the hydraulic plunger in the floor that would push the elevator up and down like that. No cables up above, except for a safety cable, I think. But the elevator guys came and installed the whole thing, got the box, the tracks, everything all set up, fired up the electronics, and nothing happened. Uh, the lights were on in the cab, but the thing just wouldn't move. It wouldn't, you know, the door wouldn't open, it wouldn't close. You could manually open the door with a fire department key, <laughs> but you couldn't make it go up or down or the doors work automatically. And uh, it took them about a month to figure out. And evidently, this was a slightly newer model. And something in the brain, there were little dip switches that you programmed for different floors and whatever, um, and timing. And I guess the instructions showed to have the dip switches in a certain configuration. And they did it exactly like it said. And that's what killed it. There was one dip switch that was off. And evidently their instructions were still from one of the older models. Um, and the manufacturer gave him this book on how to set up this dip switch, and they were wrong. But the field techs figured it out, so good for them. You've been listening to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. If you enjoy this content, be sure to follow my podcast. I upload new episodes at least three times a week.